sometimes I feel like it's almost easier to fight with people that you agree on four out of five things because then you can like fight about this last little bit that like you guys yeah. don't agree on. And it's almost like we're making enemies like out of our, or like that, what we would call allies that are like the first and second steps closest to us. Those are the people we fight with the most. Yeah. And then the people that are further away, we sort of just hope don't exist or yeah. something. <laughs> I don't know. It gets better cause it has to get better. We're all made of human. Hello, this is Sophie Hagen and you're listening to the Made of Human podcast in short, Mopad. It's a podcast in which I speak to nice people to try and figure out how to do life, how to do being human. And uh, turns out no one knows. No one has any idea. And um, so basically it's just us having a chat, trying to figure out why it's so difficult. And uh, just, you know, feel less alone together, I think. And this week I'm speaking to Chris Grace and... I have been trying literally to get Chris Grace on the podcast for four years, maybe maybe more than four years, maybe five years. Uh, he is an extraordinary person. He is extraordinary. He's an actor, an improv improviser. Is that what it's called? Singer. He's everything. And I'll let you listen to our chat in just a bit. He's also one of the most resilient people I know. Uh, before I let you listen to my conversation with Chris, uh, I want to let I love it when you're in my audience. I love it when Mopad listeners are in my audience. You are a special kind of people. It's just it's just what it is. Like I've, I'm doing gigs, I've just been doing gigs in Edinburgh, and I mean you mean the world to me. So I I would love for you to come and see me on tour because I'm going on tour of the UK with my new show called Dead Baby Frog, which is uh, a comedy show about emotional abuse. Well, hey. Um, and the tour will start this autumn when uh, I will be in Peterborough, Winchester, Liverpool, Fareham, Coventry, Swindon, Leeds, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Norwich, Kendall, Milton Keynes, Bath, Aldershot, Maidenhead, Newcastle, Newport, Leicester, Manchester, Oxford, Bristol, Hull, Bromsgrove, Stockton, Cambridge, Colchester, New Milton, Reading, Whitehaven, Aberystwyth, Northampton and Canterbury. Uh, a few of them have already sold out. I'm not going to say which ones because I don't really remember, but... Uh, I think Leeds. Leeds is definitely sold out. Aberdeen or Glasgow, one of them is sold out. So they're selling out is what I'm trying to say. So uh, be quick and get your tickets. I would love to see you there. I would love to see you there. Um, then I'm going to Denmark on tour. I will be in Copenhagen, Aarhus, Albo, Espia and Odense. And all the tickets and everything is on sophiehagen.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter, which I, I hope you will because uh, um, that's where you find out about new dates and more tickets and... All of that exciting stuff. And um, if you're far away, if you... Uh, that's fireworks in the background. I don't know if you heard that. Um, <laughs> just me celebrating celebrating this podcast with some fireworks. Uh, if you've never seen me on tour, but you'd like to see a show of mine, you can buy my last show called Shimmer Shatter, which is about not liking people, being a bit awkward, being an introvert. You can buy that on sophiehagen.com forward slash shop. And it's just five pounds. You can give more if you want, but otherwise it's just five pounds. And... Um, it's filmed at the Phoenix Artists Club in front of an audience that um, were made completely out of Mopart listeners. So it was very, very lovely. Before I let you listen to this episode, we shall do this week's Acts of Disobedience. This week's listener is called Khalid, and this is what he wrote. I was visiting NYC. Uh, I do believe that's New York City, guys, just saying. 
I was visiting NYC. I got on the subway and I noticed a vacant chair between a man and a woman. The woman was sitting with her knees collapsed together as if trying to shrink, whereas the man was spreading his legs wide open, taking space over the vacant vacant chair. I went over and sat on that on that chair between them, pushing the man's legs together with my legs so that we were all eventually sitting in equal spaces. Even though it wasn't much, it felt very good. Yeah, great. Well done, Khalid. I'm a big fan of that. You can submit your own act of disobedience on madeofhumanpodcast.com, where you can also buy a Mopad t-shirt. And uh, just to, just to let you know, if I see you wearing a Mopad t-shirt, I might scream. Uh, I'm trying to learn to scream on the inside because I scare people, but um, I just, this just makes me so excited. I can't believe people are wearing my face on the t-shirt. Well, in most cases, it's my face and Susan Kalman's face because most of the t-shirts are uh, designs about Susan Kalman and from the Susan Kalman episode. So it makes me so happy. Anyways, uh, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I'm going to let you listen to this episode now. Chris Grace, I'm so, so happy he's finally doing this. I'm so, so happy. So please enjoy this episode with the incredible Chris Grace. My name's Chris. Uh, I do comedy and I act. I live in L.A. Uh, I used to live in New York. Now I live in California. Uh, and I come to the Fringe a bunch with Baby Wants Candy. And uh, we also write shows. So a couple years ago, we did Fifty Shades, the musical. And then the last couple of years, we've been doing Thrones, the musical. And this year, I'm in a play uh, that a friend of mine from Los Angeles wrote. And I'm in it with Mike McShane from Who's Line, which has been a great experience. Oh, really? And, yeah. what, what's, the, what's the play? It's called Merry Go Nowhere. It's at Assembly. <laughs> is this a plug? <laughs> You're like, allowed to plug. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, this will come out after the festival. Uh, it's but. just so like... Uh, ingrained in me now to be like uh, assembly studio one <laughs> one twenty five every day so and get in your time machine and go back to edinburgh and come see it <laughs> um but yeah it's like my sixth year here so and i love coming here it's getting increasingly harder to like leave for this long to come yeah. here um because i'm in a weird middle ground now i moved to los angeles i'd be like getting pretty good jobs doing acting stuff and I'm in a weird middle ground where I'm not really busy. Like people were like, Oh, you had such a good year. And I think about it. And like last year I actually worked maybe seven days the whole year, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's like now when I leave, every time I leave, they're just like, Oh, but we wanted to have you audition for this thing. Mm. And so it's like, there's a level where nobody wants to work with you and it's great. Cause you can vacate. I mean, it's not great, but you can vacation and do whatever and leave for a long time. And then there's a level like way up where you can be like, uh, I'll be in Europe for all of August and like they don't bother you. But I'm in the middle part where it's like... You have to be available. I have to like show up, you know, because yeah. if I don't show up, they'll just take the next person. So. Yeah, because you're, you're at the level where I'll just watch a TV show having a great time and you're there as something. <laughs> and I'm like, that's... Bu- I know that guy. And I'm like trying to explain it to people. Like, you, you know the scene where they're in the bowling alley? Yes. <laughs> That's my I was best in a bowling friend. alley on Broad City, <laughs> yeah. which uh, a lot of my, you know, a lot of my comedian friends have seen that, which is really nice. Like, because a lot of comedians, I think, watch Broad City, which mm-hmm. I love. And actually, that was like, um, the funny thing is I had moved to Los Angeles when I booked that. And that shoots in New York. <laughs> and they don't pay for you to fly okay. to New York. So basically, I I might have lost the money to do that role. <laughs> but I wanted it on my resume so much. And I wanted to meet those two. Yeah, of course. Because they're so, like, they're sort of one of the, like, um, almost like dream stories of, like, you go from 
just doing your own little web show and then it gets picked up. Like that's like what everybody wants to do. Yeah. Um, they want to like tell their own story and like have it get picked up and have a network be like, we want to show you to everybody. Yeah. It's so, like pioneers. It's yeah. Cool. And it's like inspiring. Yeah. Cause that, that show is so much their voice. Yeah. Um, and it really feels like this is exactly what these two want to do with their show. I exactly. Think. Yeah. What, how, what do you prefer? I don't know if that's a thing you can even ask someone, but you, so you're on stage, you sing uh, yes. in this improvised musical, mm-hmm. and then you do the acting, and you do the play. Like, is there like a form that you prefer? I don't really prefer any of the forms. Like, I'm, I mean, another way to look at it is whenever I'm doing one, I long for the benefits of the others. <laughs> <laughs> because I love being in a play. I love, like, when we did Fifty Shades, the musical, uh, then we did a tour through the U.S., and then we did it off-Broadway in New York. And... I loved being able to do the same um, thing. I actually loved being able to do it for a long time and doing it a bunch of times because there are some things that my comedic mind will figure out quickly. And then there are things that like take me a long time to figure out how to do a certain bit. And there was things like 18 months into doing the uh, spoiler i played christian gray in <laughs> shades <laughs> uh which uh, i guess on a podcast you, whatever you imagine he would look like that's <laughs> not what he, i look like um but 18 months into it i'll be like oh i just figured out how to say that line oh yeah and so that process is really rewarding if you like if you have a brain that likes to like problem solve with like comedy essentially the problem with Stage stuff is you have to show up every day, so <laughs> because it's just exhausting to like be oh there six or seven or doing eight shows a week or whatever. It's like you know that's the beauty of it because those people in the room are the only ones to see you, but you also have to like get out of your apartment and go and do it. I, think, um, I feel like that's the worst thing about most things. Yeah, like, it's oh, having I have to go. To actually, do it. Just having to go in general is the worst thing. Really <laughs> are you an introvert? Uh, yeah, I definitely am. Um, I get real exhausted, like being out yeah. with people. Um, and I hardly ever want to go out drinking after a show yeah. and I'm not great at just the hangout, mm. which is pretty integral to like a lot of comedy and show business. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to, I try to be better about it, but there's a lot of stuff that just happens cause it's like, oh, we had this lineup and, um, somebody dropped out. Hey, can you do it? It's cause you're just physically sitting right there. Yeah. And yeah. that gig happens. Yeah. yeah. That's what most, that's, yeah, that's so, so many things. When you think back of all the opportunities, you're like, oh, that's cause I met that person. I spoke to that person. Yeah. But then you think back of all the times that you canceled a party and how happy you were. <laughs> and you're like, oh, worth it. Or when someone canceled on you. Oh, that's the best. Like, no you're, guilt. You're about to go and they cancel. That's a great feeling. That's the best. Oh, God. <laughs> did you ever, did you skip school a lot when you went to school? Um, I didn't skip school a lot. I did learn to forge my mom's signature. So if oh. I was late to things, I could just excuse myself. Oh, did you need like a, a signature for things? Yeah, we'd have to, we'd have to bring a note from our parents if you missed or, or oh. if you were. Like if you missed your first class of the day or something like that. Oh yeah. I think in America, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I also think the opposite is true of Denmark. It's just such a meh, they don't <laughs> like care. A liberal, whatever <laughs> kind of place. Although I will say, through you, I've learned that there's a lot of parts of Denmark that aren't liberal. Yeah, it's liberal in a weird sense. Like it's it's liberal in the sense that we you know we'll talk openly about sex and stuff and mm-hmm. be very open minded in that aspect, but. Yeah, then when it comes to just feminism and racism and stuff, well, it's... 
There's still, still stuff I'm discovering in Europe about just some countries that are historically like monoculture. Mm. If it's a lot of white people, mm. they have weird race stuff going on. Yeah. And you don't, when you're in it, it just doesn't, you just don't see it. It's mm-hmm. so hard to spot until you go somewhere else and you mm-hmm. go, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I'm almost like lately, I kind of, I'm almost a little exhausted with even trying to convince people of anything just by talking yeah. to them. Yeah. Like online or whatever. It almost just seems like the only way you could be sort of be more open-minded about racial stuff or gay issues or whatever is just just like live around some people that are like that. And if you mm. don't, it's really hard to explain to you why your mindset is not yeah. right, you know? It's um, hard to a lot of these things are just hard to explain. I went I was a bit late for my show this this morning and I was like packing my by stuff. Way, by the way, two o'clock is not the oh, morning. <laughs> <laughs> this afternoon early afternoon yeah. <laughs> when I'd just woken up, I <laughs> I was kinda late for my for my show. And I was like just rushing through and then my housemate, no names mentioned, uh I don't remember why what we were talking about, but he suddenly said, Oh, is it can't be, it's not racist when white people have dreadlocks. I was like, I don't have time. Like, <laughs> how do you answer that in one sentence? And I was just like packing my stuff going, well, it's because white people always steal from people. Of co- and it's, it's another thing. And we don't, it's appropriation. Google it. Just Google it. <laughs> but it's such a complicated, but again, like as a white person, that should be something that I definitely took time to sit down and try mm-hmm. to explain because that's. You know, you you just know that the next thing he's going to do is ask the first person he knows who's a person of color. And you're like, no, don't put that labor on yeah. other people. But I get the f- sense of, oh, it's just as soon as you're someone that people know, knows about these things, mm-hmm. then you will get two or three questions a day from your friends and stuff going, oh, can you just explain this yeah, thing I've to me? Yeah, I've had that. I mean, sometimes I'm not in the mood, but I don't know. Um, but you should explain to them why dreadlocks mm-hmm. Mm. white people are just gross <laughs> not that it's yeah. that's a, yeah. it's offensive and just like it's like don't do that from an aesthetic point of view <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have sometimes i have people coming up to me after my show like white people with dreadlocks and it just feels like so i'm not in that situation i can't be like racist like when yeah. they're saying hey thank you for your show and they're about to head out it's so I always go, well, one day I'll tweet about it and then hopefully they'll see it and then they, mm-hmm. they'll Google it themselves. Yeah, I guess it's like a, it's um, almost like a hair form of blackface. Mm. Yeah, um, that's a really good way of saying it. But I, you know, what's something I've been trying to come to lately is like, I bet those people are sympathetic to like 80% of of progressive issues Hmm. uh but then there's the 20 percent where you're like oh you've got this little blind spot and i probably have them too so lately i've been trying to be a little more like if i agree with someone 80 90 90 percent that trying not to demonize them for the 10 percent because there's people out there that disagree with me a hundred percent and like a lot of those people are like politicians that want to take rights away from me and stuff and so sometimes i feel like it's almost easier to fight with people that you agree on four out of five things because then you can like fight about this last little bit that like you guys don't agree on and it's almost like we're making enemies like out of our are like that what we would call allies that are like the first and second steps closest to us those are the people we fight with the most yeah and then the people that are further away we sort of just hope don't exist or yeah. something. <laughs> I don't know. 
I've just seen yeah. a lot lately of where like like there's just diversity issues or whatever where it's like oh i feel like we're spending so much energy essentially it's become a phrase that i've heard a lot lately but like purity tests Mm. of like unless you are in line with me on like everything we're gonna have a big fight about it yeah somebody just feels draining it it is draining is the right word about i guess the exact right definition of yeah. This whole thing. But it's all, it also does feel like a tiny wall. It just, it's just a tiny wall against these structures that mm-hmm. are so many people trying to fight. And then sometimes it can be so disheartening because as soon as someone identifies, that's not the right word, but calls himself like a feminist, for example, and then within their feminism, they're so problematic that they're almost making it worse. Mm-hmm. That's almost... I can almost see how that's a bit more damaging than someone who's, you know, not. Uh, because at least we, we kind of know that all those right-wingers, they're definitely wrong. But if someone's like, I am the feminist, I'm the right yeah. kind of feminist, but I'm still going to actively exclude a bunch of people from this feminism, it almost becomes, I'm not going to say equally as bad because it's, it's not really the same, but... I get why it hurts more. Like I get why I get more uh, like hatred. Not no, not hatred. That's the completely wrong word. But I, why I get called out more than like directly sexist podcasts. Mm-hmm. I completely get that because people already feel like they're included and they should be included. And mm-hmm. when I then fuck up, which I do, which I shouldn't do, which I'll try and not do, then of course they'll go to me because. You know, there's that's hope. Yeah, well, you know? because if you present yourself as someone that listens to the first five concerns that someone has, and then the sixth one, you're like, wait a minute, I actually disagree with that one. Yeah. Then they're like, well, you're so understanding on the other things. Yeah. But, you know, the other balance I'm trying to find is there's times where, like, we in the U.S., we've had diversity issues come up with certain things, like in show business or whatever, and... There's times where I have, I'm writing this balance of like, um, actually, like, I don't think that's a good, um, like, argument to have. Like, a specific case where I'll just be like, yeah, you know what? I don't think that was a racist issue. Mm-hmm. It has the optics of being racist, but I don't know if this is the best, like, test case for us to talk about because actually, if you boil down the facts, it's like, oh, it actually is not really about racism. It's about something else, like money or like, I mean, and of course, everything's entangled together, but. Sometimes I'm like, if we present ourselves as like, every time the optics are bad, we're going to overreact. Or not overreact, but like react strongly. Mm. Unfortunately, that becomes fodder for, it's not very convincing. Mm. If, it, if we present ourselves as like, we're always reacting to things. And even if the actual facts of the thing don't support us, then like... It's so easy for us on the other side to just be like, well, you guys just always like, no matter what happens, you're going to have that reaction. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's hard to hold the line sometimes when you're yeah. like, I think I, systemic racism is like huge. <laughs> it's all the rage in the US. <laughs> um, but then like sometimes you have to be like, someone can be in, a, in an underprivileged class or in an oppressed class and still be an asshole. Mm. And sometimes you have to oh, be like, yeah. like, yeah, but I mean, you might be a feminist or you might be this or you're like a trans rights activist. But in this particular case, you were still an asshole. And like you should have been called out. Like <laughs> we can't like, I feel that's 
that's a hard line to ride sometimes. Yeah. And then, I'm uh, sorry, just to argue with myself. Mm. Um, sometimes I think like, yeah, but people come from these, people are reactive because they come from these groups that are, have been pushed down and now they have a voice. So when like straight white guys overreact and have bad reactions to things, we don't demonize the whole class and we don't, undermine the whole that we don't say like that applies to every single straight white guy i kind of do <laughs> but you know what i mean but I in general society yeah, I, doesn't. I don't know have you have you um this is by the time this comes out it probably won't be topical but what is your thought about did you see that like instagram post about the guy who he put up a post about um i love my girlfriend oh yeah that whole thing so tell me what you think because i got into a like i think i got a little bit I argued with people that don't know me on oh, Facebook, uh-oh. which is always a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I got portrayed a little bit as like, they sort of made assumptions about where I was coming from, but what are your thoughts? So, yeah. That? So it was, it was the, it was the, the man who was praising his uh, curvy girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And he was basically saying, I love you despite the fact that you're a bit fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, she wasn't fat. She was what, like a size 12 or something. Mm-hmm. And that would, and that's the only reason why that went viral. That's the only reason why that was like, Oh my God, look at this great guy. Because if she had been actually fat, if she's been a super fat, if she'd mm. been uh, whatever, 28 plus or whatever, that wouldn't have happened. That's not how that would have played out. And we know that because we have fat, really fat women who have had the exact same kinds of articles, but they mm. get different reactions. They get people saying, oh, like, why would you? Or like all these really ugly, ugly things. There's so many fat activists who post their wedding pictures and get so much vile hatred. Mm-hmm. So it's bullshit. And also, why are we still... Why does it matter what men think of us? Like, mm-hmm. why is that a thing? Like, oh my God, look at this brave, brave man. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he dares. He actually dares to be with a woman who <laughs> who's curvy. Like sometimes she can't buy something in H and M, but mostly she can. But they don't always have a size. Wow! <laughs> I, can't, so... I can't buy an H and M. I haven't been able to do that ever. I mean, it's really interesting to me because I think that my so a friend of mine posted um, about it, and based on the comments, I was like, "Oh man, this guy must have written a really douchey Instagram post." And so this is where I got myself like probably in the wrong spot was I went to read and I don't know anything about the guy. Apparently mm. he's like, like a blogger and he's got, he's had other like really problematic like tweets and stuff like that. And so when I went to read his Instagram post, the actual like text of his post, I was like, it's kind of sweet. Like in without any context, I was just like, I mean, it seemed like he was just, it, some of it was about like, Hey, like I felt that I wasn't allowed to even tell other guys that, like, I thought these kind of women were attractive. Um, so when I read the post, I was kind of like, it seems okay. I understand that there's a reaction to the double standard that his post went, like, super viral. Mm. And that a woman's post about her own body or mm. accepting it would not go super viral. Yeah, so yeah. there is a condescension in, ter- yeah. in terms of it being popular. Yeah, that's but, not necessarily his fault. If he was just writing a thing, like, that's yeah. not... It is more the reaction. It's more the praise that becomes annoying, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so... I and so like something I've been thinking about lately is what it me personally trying to stay away from tribalism mm-hmm. in terms of like okay this guy's this guy's a jerk he's 
posted things that seem like sort of like not trans friendly and like homophobic or whatever. <laughs> I'm about to convince myself like, but he's a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that like, but like, is there a possibility for somebody like that to do a, I was thinking like, what should he have done? Like, because if you read what he posted, it was pretty, it felt very innocuous to me. I, and it sparked something that was like, the reaction of it exposed this double standard and exposed this condescension of like, the only way we can accept this woman is through a male gaze. Mm. But I was also like, it was just a guy like trying to write a nice thing about his wife. So if I had been able to go into it and be like, look at these things he wrote, like they're very condescending and it, and it is sort of like, I'm so cool. Cause I, I like fat people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been a little worried about that, like people sort of like predetermining how they feel about things based on like where the person comes from. Um, and for us, too, on the progressive side, I've been like, we need to be careful about like just questioning ourselves. I mean, I feel like that is a progressive ideal. Is that like, mm. are, I mean, I argue against myself all the time. Mm. So I don't know. But But to be honest, like, that's also a case where like... I would take your perspective over mine in that case. Like if that Instagram post bothers you, it doesn't really, I don't have enough juice in it to like try to convince you like you're wrong. You shouldn't feel that way. And I'm not even sure I really care that much. I mean, it's what, what it was the real, I mean, enemy in all of this is the whole clickbaity thing, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. the, we're reading that over, the important stuff and the things that needs to be heard in the same way as within fat activism, we care more about, you know, semi plus size women saying that they love their bodies. Then we care about, you know, just like the activists or the scholars or the, you know, the, the, the people who've studied this, who go out and say the capitalism is the actual problem and we need mm-hmm. to change these laws and these uh, attitudes in society because that's all boring and ugh and doesn't look pretty and it's not really. So we focus more on these, you know, models, the plus size models who don't necessarily choose to be spokespeople for the whole entire fat community. They just want to be models. And then there are people who are actually trying to say something and we're like, ah, look at the model. She's yeah. being pretty in a bathing suit. Holy shit. Yeah. Like the model's first ambition was like, I want to be in front of a camera yeah. and then I want the camera to take a photo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and we're like, not, Let's talk, try saying something as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, but what do you think about like nutritional guidelines for like, <laughs> you know, the, for the government? Um, well, um, we bonded over, uh, you know what? That kind of feels a bit. Prob- I don't know why that this feels problematic now. Is that is that problematic? We bonded over how we we kind of like fat guys. No, is that problematic? What's I don't know prob- why that felt problematic. I don't know why. I guess I felt like I was objectifying fat men. I mean, I objectify fat guys all the time. Yeah, well, same. <laughs> I just didn't want people Edinburgh. to know. Oh yeah, oh, got yeah. some good ones. Uh, I mean, there's like so. I come here. I see a lot of shows when I come here, and I'm, I mean, I'm doing a lot of shows too. But like a fair percentage of the shows when I go through that book are that guy looks cute. I'll go see that show, and it's turned out to work sometimes. Oh, exchange yeah. notes. Um, you know, it's funny because I think that, uh, for, like it or not, I think that because of the power that men have, there it's more resilient to be just like I like fat guys and not feel like it's. Mm. And like, I mean, you can look at the way casting in commercials and television happens. Like, mm. fat guys. 
are fine. I mean, mm. you know, we don't get as many parts as whatever, but like, mm. there's always a fat dude in a yeah. sitcom. Oh yeah, um, and he he does get to be with the model wife. Yeah, um, so it doesn't feel um, I, like something. I, I I've sometimes come to thoughts, and I feel like other people have had them already. But I feel like on the progressive side, that I kind of care more about things being just than fair, <laughs> like. Um, yeah, I think I, like, I think I understand because that. sometimes I don't know that like a rule like hey you shouldn't talk about you shouldn't be like I'm into fat you shouldn't be like I like fat girls if that's problematic or whatever but it's okay to say like I'm into fat guys mm. so that's inherently that rule is not fair yeah because you're sort of saying like you can say something about one group of people but not another yeah and other examples like that yeah and in a way sometimes like I don't know if I care if the rule is fair yeah because. The f- playing field is so yeah. not level to begin with. Yeah. That I feel like it's a very privileged thing to be like, um, well, men have had these advantages for all these years, like decades and centuries. Uh, so now we got to play fair. Like now that we've given you guys a couple, a little bit of ground to catch up. So now let's be totally equal in terms of how laws are applied and stuff like that. And then if we'll be all, we'll be fine. And we got a huge head start. For through generations, yeah. but now like let's make sure all the rules are equal. In theory, we should go. No, now we're gonna start paying you less. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just for a few hundred years. Yeah, then... <laughs> well, I think that's a common like men's rights point of view of like, oh yeah, of like, well, you should treat us the way you treat. But it's like we're not coming from the same place. Yeah, it's it's just that's like, it's yeah. I think that, I think I figured out why it felt problematic. I think it's the fetish fetishization. Yeah, is that a word? That's not a word. Well, it is a word. It's just not how fetishization. Yeah. Fetishization. By the way, I love the way you say hatred. <laughs> What did I say? That hatred? <laughs> yeah, because maybe it's a Danish hey, thing. Or, what am I? How am I saying it? You put a like th in it. It makes it sound much more appealing. Hatred, hatred. Oh yeah, I see it now. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie learns English. At first, I thought it was like some kind of <laughs> like, like a lisp or something. Yeah, no, hatred. some kind of like um, northern concept. Yeah, that we don't <laughs> have. Like hatred plus something. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, what mythologies do you guys have? Is it Thor? And is it such? Thor and all that? Yeah. yeah so it was something like a like a Loki style of hatred is hatred. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, yeah. I think there might be like a snake or something that's called hatred <laughs> or something. It could be. Um, uh, but I think it's yeah the fetishization of um, of fat people. Is, is, I didn't want it to sound like <laughs> I didn't care about the personality. What a shitty thing to say. I just think I, I just yeah. It's. It's not that because I've obviously met people who fetishized mm-hmm. my bodies, and I, I know the difference between what it is. And there is just something very liberating in saying, "No, I actually don't care about what society says, and this is a thing that I'm attracted to, and I'm not gonna." Like my friend, I have a friend who used to be who used to be very fat. Now he's not. And at one point, he said. You keep telling me that I was so attractive when I was fat. Mm. And I feel like you're saying that I'm not attractive now. And I said, yeah, but I know you. And I know that every single person you meet keeps telling you, oh, my God, you look so good now. Right. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to keep telling you so that you know that you were always attractive. You were mm-hmm. always hot. Like do not, Because you, you're going to listen to those people and you're going to think that you cannot be fat again, whatever right. happens. And you're going to think that your value is in your thinness. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep pointing out how hot you were back then. And that's just mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Uh, Does he feel like the... But he feels like the negative aspect of that. 
of like if you were telling him he was fat or hot back then and that you he isn't to you now and maybe he values your opinion more than like a bunch of other people yeah i think so but I mean, I'm I feel still. I'm for me. I, I I just kept saying to him like because he he's not you know really that you know on the progressive side. He's not really you know. I don't think he truly really understands, and I think he still hates his own fat, and mm, I think he mm, hates mm. fat in general. But he would never tell me, of course. So I, for me, it's just about making sure he really. He's very young as well, so I'm like trying to really just mm-hmm. be like, yeah, I don't I don't care because society and all of your friends and every single girl who messages you every single day will tell you that you're really hot now. And he's not like, I'm not saying he's not attractive now. I'm just saying you need to know and I need to keep reminding you that you were really good looking and you just mm. were. And I mean, there's a reason like why Like how I'm many times are you texting this to him a day? <laughs> not like, like an automatic. Like 10, 11 yeah. times. <laughs> this automatic like, thing set up. By the way, you used to be hot. <laughs> you were so <laughs> P.S. you were so hot. But you're in, a, you're in a happy relationship. I'm married now. Married? I got married in March. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's up here, right? Yeah, he's up here because um, so he is. So this is a very like um, grandiose thing that I had, which is that when I came out here, I was like, oh, they might need me back in L.A. for um, because I'm like in a couple of TV shows in a very minor way, actually to the point of having to show up mm. where. I'm not in a position to say, like, if they want me to be like, hey, I'll be back in September. Mm. Uh, why don't you delay my appearance until mm-hmm. September? I have to be like, oh, I'm 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 in L.A. Like, yeah. you know, I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. So there's a, you know, when I came out here, it was a thing of like, I might have to fly back. Um, so I needed um, someone to cover my part in the play that I'm doing. And um, the guys who wrote it, uh, I'm sorry, the woman who wrote it and the director and producer saw my husband perform in L.A., and we're like, and I had suggested like maybe he could cover and he'd be great. He's right for the part and everything. I mean, we're both fat guys, so we're right for a lot of the same parts. So we can cover <laughs> like each other's parts. So funny enough, he's here. He's understudying me in the play, but he's playing uh, the track that I did last year in Thrones the musical. Oh, so we're understudying each other that's in amazing. different things. Yeah, it's great. I mean, because I've always talked about like Edinburgh and how amazing it is. So it's great to like. Like, I don't know, if you have people that, like, it's hard to explain you what the festival is ex- yeah. like. You can't explain it. And you can't explain the uh, the scope yeah. of it. So it's great for, like, to experience it directly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, as far as, like, the health thing, it's, like, I know a lot of guys that, like, um, like, do you guys, do you have the biggest loser in? I know of it. Yeah, it's awful. It's, like, people losing weight in the Yeah, US. like a competition thing. And just, this is just from my type what happens is they bring a bunch of people that are like very big. And then over the course of the show, they lose a bunch of weight and they put them in a house and they have a trainer and they monitor their food and everything. And what happens for me is they also do like makeover, like they, you know, trim their beards. And Mm. um, there's a period of always like the fifth weekend where all the guys like move into like my sweet spot in terms of like the frame that I like and like their build and stuff. And then they keep going. They go. They, <laughs> then they lose like another hundred pounds. Um, and you know, I have had a lot of like close people in my life uh, die, and a lot of them were bigger guys. And at this point in my life, I'm like, m- yes, maybe you'd be like less attractive to me if you lose weight. Um, but my being attracted to you 
isn't a reason to like not lose weight if you wanted to for health reasons. Like if that's, Mm. if that's something that you wanted to do. So please don't like, like, I don't care. Like I'd rather have you around if, if your doctor's telling you like, you've got to bring numbers down or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's the main problem is that people seem to think that it has to do with weight and, you know, there are plenty of big people who are, are healthy, healthy oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's the dangerous thing is that when you start doing it to lose weight, then you end up actually being, you can easily become way more unhealthy. You know, yeah. some of you are losing weight just by just not eating, yeah. becoming weaker in body. Or there's like exercise anorexia. Uh, like, orthorexia? Uh, is, is that, that what it's called? Is that when you're like obsessed with, uh, we're like you achieve the like result of anorexia by like oh. exercising so much. That, oh wow! Um, oh, like it kind of brings it into like a minus. Yeah, I hope oh, wow. I didn't just make that up. I think I've heard of that. Um, actually, to I'm sort of in that situation because I, for a long time, like I actually don't remember having tons of body issues. Um, more of my body issues have to do with that that I was Chinese growing up in Texas, um, oh. and just not like looking the way people were used to but like in terms of me being like overweight um just for the for the theater of the mind i'm 58 and i weigh before i left for edinburgh i weighed like 235 we'll see what when i go home when i weigh because <laughs> i'm eating a lot more like um a lot of deep fried stuff <laughs> i'm actually across the street at this donor place donor and chips oh is that good i, I don't know if it's good but i've had it like every <laughs> night i eat a lot of it so when i see myself naked in the mirror I have, I'm fine. Like it doesn't, I like the way my body looks. Um, and I think it's sexy and people seem to think it's sexy and enough people think it's sexy that I've been able to have sex with people. Um, but like my blood sugar, like some of my blood results are like, are not good. And like, Mm -hmm. they would be better if I lost some weight. So like I have a purely medical reason for trying to lose weight. And Mm. mostly it's been like when I get home, I, you know, you know how it is. Like you just Mm. put it off all the time. (laughs) Um, so that's like the only motivation I have. If I could have the body that I currently have and have good like blood sugar numbers and cholesterol numbers, that would be great. Yeah. But it seems like I'm probably going to have to lose at least like 20 pounds just to make the... Well, that's the thing. Because I remember like speaking to... Well, I, I went to like a proper doctor and he took all the, the samples and stuff. And I'm fine. Like this, you mm-hmm. can't... Like, like all the numbers are completely the same as any healthy person, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, I'll be honest with you, very weird. <laughs> <laughs> but there was another doctor who hadn't checked anything who just started saying to me that I should lose weight. And I, and I told her, I said, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, maybe in terms of physical health, but I mean, if I start having to monitor my food intake, my mind goes into eating disorder immediately Mm. and within three days i'll be counting calories i'll be obsessing over everything it'll take over my entire life and i'll be sick Mm -hmm. i'll be mentally sick so i am in a position where until i've fixed that with like a psychologist and to be fair we have a lot of other stuff we need to fix first (laughs) that's like ninth on the list yeah (laughs) that's gonna be like a by the way when i'm leaving the the practice one day but like, I have to choose because that, that sends my, I can't even, if I go to a gym, because sometimes I have this, like, I feel like moving my body. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like just sweating and I feel like just, and then when I go to a gym and there are just, you know, every, it says calories everywhere. You're losing this much calorie, run this, yeah. do this. And it just sends my mind into this. It's a little cold too. 
Yeah. It's, like a, it's a very like analytical way of looking at. Yeah, it should be. I mean, I wish there was some kind of. Are there any I mean, sports you enjoy? Well, that, that, then, I mean, speaking of mental health, because <laughs> then the anxiety comes in. So, like, I love, like, dancing. And I love, mm-hmm. like, spinning classes and love swimming. But problem with those things is that there are people there. <laughs> <laughs> and I've so often signed up for all these classes. And then I've arrived and it's just been so many people. And I've gone, I can't. Too many people. Mm. Just too many people. So I need to find, like, a really solitary. Basically, I need my own pool. Uh-huh. So I'm going to start crowdfunding <laughs> to pool. build my own pool. <laughs> um, you should come to L.A. because there's like these dance classes there that are like only 80s music and people wear like uh, leg warmers and stuff like that. And oh, I just amazing. read about one where the, the woman's just like, you can do the moves or not. Like, doesn't matter. That's amazing. Well, my dream was to have a, uh, a plus size uh, class where it's like a dance class, but it's musicals. There's oh. all the music, you know, when you see most musicals, there's all of these like dance yeah. things. Oh my God, I would love that. Well, that's not a bad idea. I, I have a group of friends that uh, we, it's basically like fat guys doing yoga. Oh, amazing. Like we just, because when you, especially when you go to yoga, there's a lot of okay. body yeah, issues yeah. <laughs> attached to that. Um, uh, and that's a good way to sweat. I, I exercise a lot more when i am playing a sport and i love playing sports but uh like my 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 most favorite sport is rugby and it's like not good for the body oh really yeah i got this by the way (gasps) so it's a i'm just looking at like the biggest scar seven inch long scar on my forearm that's actually where the surgery happened like that's not the arm didn't like break through here but my forearm uh one of the bones in my forearm broke oh my god and but rugby is so much fun it, and it fits, and my it's good. Like my body fits rugby. Is that one of way. those where you like just bang into each other? Yeah, basically. Right. Um, like I love basketball, but my body is not great for basketball. I'm short and like not fast and can't jump super high. But rugby is like a good sport for me. Um, so there was a while where like that was fun because like I was exercising a lot just through like. You're not thinking about it. You're just like having fun playing a game. Yeah. Um, and that feels good. I just haven't found another sport. Like, and I can't continue to play rugby because, like, in shows, sometimes, like, in a play, I'll be like, well, it's be tough for me to, like, bend here because my knee hurts because I have arthritis in my knee from playing rugby. And it's like, why am I impairing my, like, livelihood with this, like, hobby? Yeah, that's dangerous. (laughs) Dangerous game. But, like, when when I see you do, so are you doing Baby Wants Candy this year? Yeah, I'm doing Baby Wants Candy, and I'm doing the play at one thirty, and I'm doing Baby Wants Candy at 9.30, which is a weird gap. But that's quite physical. I remember it being quite physical. It it can be very physical, but, like, I often modify what the younger people are doing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're, like, jumping around, and I'm, like, on the side just waving my arm, basically. (laughs) If you come see it, you'll, like, that's very obvious what I'm doing sometimes. Oh, I, oh God, I, it's my favorite bit of the festival every year. Oh, good. Baby Wants Candy. So it's my little safe space. I'll go <laughs> and I just need to just... Cause I, I love musicals and it's just perfect. I feel like people like to come to the festival. And this may be true in general. People like to see the thing that they don't do. Yeah. I don't know. How much stand-up do you see? No, I, I do watch quite an extraordinary amount of stand-up. Oh, well, because I do love, like, I love stand-up so much. But mm-hmm. I think with musicals that has that... Like people who can sing, that's my... Like, I'm not really, I don't really see plays. I'm mm-hmm. not, re- like, there's a lot of other art forms that I'm not, I've tried a bit of Poetry Slam and I'm, I've enjoyed it, but, meh. Mm-hmm. But then musical is that, 
it's like it's like me because I, I feel like I'm the opposite of musical. I feel like I'm the opposite of musical theater because it's so expressive and mm-hmm. big arm movements and loud voices and it's happy and there's so many feelings being expressed all the time and I'm just like the opposite and just right. just going to be saying my words I've carefully prepared and I'm not going to show anyone how I feel. <laughs> so I love like it's so I think freeing. people get what you feel in your shows. Yeah, because I tell them all the time. Because yeah, <laughs> you're literally telling them. <laughs> I'm literally telling them I'm now feeling this. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> um, like how have you... How do you feel now doing your show? Because when we first met, we were both like sort of like looking up at the yeah. festival, you know? Yeah. Like, it's so it weird to think now? about. I mean, yeah. I mean, now I would never go to Leith to do like. Uh, <laughs> I probably still would. <laughs> really? Like, it, oh, it was so far. It was so far away. There was like, it was a fun gig. It was a really, really fun gig. But yeah, which is kind of a shame. I, should, I shouldn't throw that away just because it was in Leith. It was so far away. I mean, now it's just, it's weird because I did someone else's podcast and we were just talking like through my life and I was just going, oh, and then this happened and this happened. And like in details, we went all the way up to about the time when I moved to London first and then we were running out of time. So we went right anyway. So now you're doing this show. And because in my head, I'd been following that process so slowly. So in my head, I was where I was when I first moved to London and then all of a sudden he was like, right, so now you're about to prepare your second tour. You have your third show. And mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, <laughs> with that, wow, because everything's happened so gradually. And now I'm like, third show? Yeah. Third full show. It yeah. feels ridiculous. It feels big. Yeah. I never thought. Like, remember where you were in your life like four years ago? With everything, not just career-wise, but imagining where you are now? Does that even I mean, seem- my life is totally different but like for other like worse reasons worse reasons (laughs) yeah because like in in so 2012 was my first fringe (laughs) i don't know why i'm relating to the fringe but like that's how we know each other but like Mm. 2012 my uh this is relevant for your podcast maybe um which is in 2012 my uncle died and then in 2013 I'm trying to get all the numbers right. No, sorry. 2011, my uncle died. 2012, my sister died. In 2013, my brother died. In 2014, my partner died. And then my dad died last year. So, like, my partner dying, I mean, we've been together 14 years. And going from that to, we were living in New York. From that point to here is, like, so much has changed because now I live in LA and I'm married and like my life is like on the personal level, like completely different than it was professionally. It's it's, it's horrible is that the professional side has been very good, you know? Um, and the personal side has gotten good, but like, it's like a real, like a lot of stuff has happened and I feel a little more distant from the, from caring about other stuff that much. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm just like, even like, and I don't know if this is good or it's probably not good, but like sometimes with progressive issues too, I'm just like, eh, we're all going to be dead one day. <laughs> like who cares? <laughs> like in one day, like the earth crust will like crack off the core and like all the bits will just flow out in the universe and then the sun will like implode and devour everything. So like are humans going to be able to like, treat each other better in this little like blink before that all happens. It's like, well, we can try, but like we might not. <laughs> I'm generally a cheerful person. 
love, I bring this out in people. When stuff like that happens, and so many times, does it get easier? Um, you know, what's funny is I thought I was with my partner for 14 years and that was devastating when he died. Um, and I thought that there definitely is something, it's not easier, but like once you go through that and like he died in front of me, um, there is a, like, you've gone through a trauma and it feels a little like, when I was starting to date again, a part of me thought like, oh, I don't really want to get attached to someone again because this is going to happen. Some form of this will happen again if you date someone. Like if you both grow to like 80 years old, it's still going to happen again, you know. Um, but there's a part of me that also felt like, well, I've been through it. So like I think I could handle it again. And I think it's worth it to get to create that connection with someone again, knowing that like this was devastating, but it didn't kill me. Um, and my father, who I sort of reunited with once I moved out to LA, I actually thought would be not as big a deal. Cause like I had been estranged from him for a long time and it's sort of more like everybody's parents die. Like that's, so that's something everyone has to deal with eventually. Not everyone's partners die. Like, you know, when they're in their like late thirties or forties. Right. So I thought when my dad died that it would be more like, now I'm experiencing something that a lot of people do. So it would be easier. And actually the dad, my dad dying, like has been harder some ways in different ways. And it's, I'm not sure why, like it felt sadder in some ways and it wasn't shocking, you know? So like, I don't know why it was so yeah, it didn't make it easier for when my father died. So you hadn't been in touch with him for, for 19 years. Wow. We didn't talk because when I came out, I moved, I got out of college. I moved to New York. I sent him. A, I sent everyone in the family a letter, coming out, and he was the one that was like, his, "It's crazy." His first letter to me was like, "Cool, like I understand." And the second letter was like, "I believe you've been corrupted by the homosexual agenda." Oh, wow! And he said, um, "You, you are welcome to write me." And I was in a relationship at the time. You're welcome to write to me, but please don't mention your partner's name. Mm-hmm. And I wrote him back saying, like, until you change this policy, I will not be writing you at all. And then, like, I spoke to him maybe, like, three times over 20 years. Wow. So then I saw him again when I moved out to Los Angeles. And so, I mean, very grateful. Like, I was there basically two years. I basically was with him about two years before he passed away. Um, and so I'm grateful for that time. Um, but it was more painful because I got to know him again than it would have been if like, Hey, by the way, your father died Mm. and I hadn't talked to him. It it probably, I don't think I knew, I wouldn't have known like what I would have missed, you know? So, I mean, the unfortunate thing is like the positive aspects of like reuniting with someone or getting to know them also, or also feel painful after they die. So like, you're still grateful for them, but in some ways it's like, Oh, like even like funny things that he said or whatever still kind of linger with you. Mm. So do you don't regret, do you regret not talking to him sooner? Um, I just regret not really a thing. You, I don't believe in regret. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I regretted that my partner never got to meet him. Mm. And, I think that, and I'm grateful that my husband, Eric, 
has had gotten to meet him at least a couple times mm. because there were things I hadn't seen him in so long mm. that I didn't realize that there were things that my partner James would recognize or complain about with me that came from my dad. Like, oh, wow. and so when I saw him again, I was like, Oh, that's where that thing comes from. Wow. And I think that's valuable to like, yeah, you know, I've met Eric's parents and it's informative. And it's also like that. Oh, that's just how that family, that's the rhythm of how that family talks or argues or decides where to go to dinner or whatever it is. So it's less like, they're doing this to annoy me, <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. more like that's just the way they were raised. Um, and so there are things about that that I learned about myself by seeing my dad again. Um, or just, you know, like we were before we came to Scotland, we were going through my dad's house cause we we're preparing to sell it. And, um, Eric was helping me go through it and he was just saying like, there's things he would recognize about the way my dad would like have a stack of books somewhere or like just collect a bunch of junk in a drawer that like, I do exactly the same thing in our house and it's just like, wow. Built into the family. So he was like, Oh, I recognize like where you got that from. Wow. Um, so it's interesting. That's valuable. Yeah. I mean, I guess try to meet your partner's parents if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Go try and yeah. get a partner first. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> or wait, meet the parents first. Oh yeah! Let's see if they have any children. Go find, go find a decent pair of parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to do it. So, in terms of like, uh, so there's one question that I've started asking in my podcast. So you have to imagine this: we're in, so that there's like an evil dictator, like a very right wing dictator who's taken over this country that we now both live in. Hmm, right? This is a real stretch it's, for me. <laughs> so hmm. is a weird what one. could you be talking about? <laughs> no, we're like talking about like this is a full on like military they're killing people so you can kind of choose you can't leave the country uh you can choose between three well there there are options like you can either be like join them join them join the dark side that's obviously like the easiest that if it's north korea i will be doing that (laughs) because i feel that i resemble the leadership enough to pass that's what i should have said at the beginning if you were imagining what christian gray looks like just imagine kim (laughs) jong-un Okay, one is to join them. <laughs> yeah. Then you can be neutral, of course. Just okay. stay. What does oh, that mean, neutral? Like, neutral what does means... it look like from day-to-day existence? Well, I think you just kind of keep your head down. Okay. You don't really make a fuss and you don't really, you know, because if you join, you'd, you know, you'd wear right. the, you know, you'd be part of it, like like Hitler, Hitler Jugend, mm-hmm. and, you know, and uh, when neutral, you just kind of, you know, you stay survive. out of their way and you, yeah, you don't break any rules. You just kind of, yeah. But then you could also join the resistance, mm-hmm. right? And this resistance is a very, uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of infrastructure. Like it, it works like a full underground resistance movement. Where do you think you would be? I mean, if it's anything like the way my current country is, I'd be in the resistance because, and this is like a privileged thing. Generally, I don't have the option of being neutral mm. um, because I don't look neutral in terms of American, like the way people look in America. People of color in America, you can't, it's hard to be neutral because um, being neutral is almost like joining them in a way. Because, oh, yeah. because being neutral is kind of like you're leaving all your other people of color behind to be like, I'm just going to survive. Good luck, you guys. You know, um, and I feel that with all like 
that's why I always say like people of color because I just feel that like um, I need to stay active because also like to be honest like I'm Asian and like I'm a, like there's a lot of Asian issues and I mean most of my Asian issues have to do with like the way Hollywood casts people <laughs> you know but like we but I don't get scared when like a policeman like mm. pulls me over so I still think it's important to recognize that like it's harder for black people in America than it is for anybody else, uh, including the other minorities. Like there are things that we go through, but like we need to stay active because like we're not, there's not a bunch of like Asian people getting shot by cops. Like, like we can't even get to that level of just like not getting shot. Like that's insane to me that that's a, something that someone has to worry about. Um, so that I would, that's why I feel like if you were neutral, that's it's kind of like it's it feels selfish. Mm. God, I wonder if it's even more selfish than joining them. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I um, always, I get, I totally get why you'd say that. Because joining them is almost like, well, at least I'm gonna be, I'm gonna commit to really being the enemy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, neutral is like you know the people who who ask you the, the neutral people are the people who say just to play the devil's advocate. Yes. You know they'll go, oh, I mean, but. What and they'll go? Oh, I haven't chosen a side, and you go, you haven't chosen a side. So you yeah, haven't. I guess the question is, is there really a neutral to be picked? Yeah. Because um, it's like honestly, like in America, if you're straight and white and affluent, then you can sort of be like, I mean, I'm going to ride this out. We'll see how Trump goes. It's not really going to like affect my lives. But like, if you're LGBT or Anything like you're going to get directly affected. I mean, you already have been by the mm. stuff that he said. So, um, I, neutral feels like, um, uh, like passive joining mm. in a way. Mm. Absolutely. So, within the resistance, what do you think your role I would, would like, be? I'd do graphic design pretty much. <laughs> do you <have> a logo? <laughs> I mean, you guys need logos for those banners. Um, you know, I could set websites, Squarespace, Weebly. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I feel a thing that I've like struggled with in my life is um, being a leader or not being a leader mm. of things. Because I feel like one of those questions is like, who leads resistances, you know, mm. and who leads groups? And I feel like I've been presented a lot in my life with opportunities to like lead. And a lot of times I have not because I felt either like I didn't want the pressure or I didn't want to deal with, I I mean, by when I say lead, I just mean like, you know, like, could I run like a thespian group at a high school or something? <laughs> like it's not. Like, I wasn't like on the front of like it wasn't like a barricade situation, and I was. But but you get presented with those situations mm. where, um, you know, like you. I have found myself trying to be more like if an opportunity like that comes up to really to speak out. Mm. Um, and even in like work situations, if like there's many people that are unhappy, I try to be like, okay, well, I'll say something if no one else will. Um, and I try not to be overbearing about it. And it's also very grand- grandiose again to be like, well, I, I'm a natural leader. I should be, but like some, if we had a resistance, um, you do need people to like 
sometimes you need people to like speechify and just like motivate and articulate things. You know, I feel like something that happens on Twitter is people gather around a little bit, like people who just articulate things in an effective way. And it's like, yeah, they, that person said what I was like feeling in a sharp, effective way that I can retweet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I bet if we had a real resistance that like I would probably eventually move into some position of like trying to organize it or, you know, I don't know, like talk, like talk at events, talk at events. That's what they call it. No, I don't know. <laughs> the resistance events. Yeah. Like what do you, have you already talked about like where you would find yourself? In- oh, I mean, I keep changing my, my thing. Cause I've, I, like when I think back of having been in situations where I could lead anything, I've always like my, the big, the best extent, cause I've always kept myself in the background and then I've just thought, Oh, I could do this better, mm-hmm. but I've not actually done anything. But the one, there was a, like 10th grade so we were 14 15 6 15 16 uh, years old and there was going to be a short film filmed by the entire class and so like the the teacher was giving out these assignments like oh you do the costume and you do the thing and then i was meant to do the sc- directing yes i was going to do the directing mm-hmm. and then the second that happened i was like right i'm taking over and i ended up we were like 20 people in the in the class that day and it ended up being me and the actor. I'd fired everyone else <laughs> because the costume people did it wrong and the, the, the whatever set design people did it wrong and the other actor <laughs> did it wrong. And I ended up just, I was, I'd shouted at everyone. Mm. And even the cameraman, I was like, you know, just go, I'll do it. So I was like behind the camera setting the light. And there was just this one actor and I couldn't fire him because I needed the actor. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, so difficult and I would shout at him and he would go I'm walking off the set I'm like no 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 the set was like a classroom I was like no okay I need you so that's the only time where I had to be like fine uh-huh. <laughs> I'll still use you so I think I would maybe try and lead and then end up just having like my own little yeah <laughs> like corner where well like I was I, just in this corner alone when I was in uh fifth grade which I don't know what the equivalent for you guys is when I was I guess 11 we had uh, a vote for class president in our little classroom. And me and another guy ran, and I voted for him. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems like a very self-sabotaging thing to do. Yeah. Um, but maybe once, like, I, I would like to hope that... I think I would, I would try and take the resources that I had at that time and try and just ask people if they needed that. Like, whatever it was. I mean, even if... Like, whatever I could be of use, you know? Aren't you already in that though? Because like there is a resistance, and you're a comedian. Like it seems yeah. like you're in the role you would already have. Kind of. I think. I'm, I think I'm, my fantasies have always been on. Like there's a wall. Like we're talking, like <laughs> phys- because I, there's a lot about using words and using internet and stuff. And a lot of us are doing things, but like in the situation, would we physically turn up? Would we hold weapons? Would we yeah. sacrifice ourselves? Would we? You know, do what yeah. it's because I like. I talk a lot about World War Two in, in my in, not a lot, but I mentioned World War Two in my show, and I talk about like how Denmark were invaded by the Nazis, and there was a small resistance, but and we're very proud of the Danish resistance. We're very proud of it, and there weren't that many people, but the ones who were there were so proud that there were actually people fighting the Nazis, and they would uh, a lot of them would just you know always had like a what do you call it cyanide. Like oh. a poison thing, so in, in case, case they got you caught? Were, yeah, 
And that thought was just always, oh, I wish I want to be one of those people who carry that and then do things that are physically dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then if I get caught, fuck it. Like I want to, I wish I can be that, I think is the thought, you know, I'll right. see things like, um, but it's interesting you, so if you were presented with that, do you think you would readily accept that role? I hope so. I'd like to, cause I so. definitely wouldn't. <laughs> 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 I'd be like, even if I had the cyanide capsule, I'd be like, let's see how prison works out. <laughs> it can't be that bad. <laughs> I've never understood the cyanide pill thing or like when they have it in the tooth and they like bite it and then they. But I guess you're also supposed to not like give up state secrets. Yeah, I think that's stuff. more. I think I would. I would trust. I wouldn't trust myself to not crack under torture. Yeah, I mean, the I other thing is that you might be holding the cyanide thing and like out of anxiety, like yeah. squeeze it too hard. Exactly. Like, oh oh yeah, I no! Totally would do, I would totally do that. Like, like the mission's going yeah. well. Oh no! Sophie died. So Sophie, we'll see you later. Yeah, we'll see. Uh oh. Oh, did you? Uh. <laughs> or you're like, good job, high five, like, <laughs> and both of you die because your capsules exploded. <laughs> I don't, maybe holding your hand is not the best place for it because yeah. you also have the gun there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You don't want to throw it wrong. <laughs> Wait, can we talk about current fat guy crushes? Do you have any? Oh, I'm completely. Um, what's it called? Like celibate, celibate. Like giving up on, on any any hookup or relationship too. Oh, I mean, there was the latest person I had a crush on was a fat girl. But then that f- fucked up. So no, there's not really anyone. There's like a. Uh, I'm, I apologize because I get like Denmark and Sweden and the other countries confused. There's a television show where there's a big fat guy as like a bearded guy as a detective. Do you know what I'm talking about? Kimbatnia. It's the bridge. No, yeah, it's the bridge. It's like I haven't watched it yet, but the, okay. guy, the guy is hot. I've made out with him. <laughs> I have. That is actually, that is an achievement. You you picked out the one Danish guy you know, and that's oh, so that's a Danish show. Yeah, okay, well, cool. it's a Danish and Swedish show. Oh, okay. Cool. So there's it's a Swedish detective and a Danish detective, and he's like a yeah big fat guy. That dude is super hot. He is really hot. He's yeah, really yeah, hot. Yeah. It was in a it's in a, I probably said this on the podcast before because I'm really proud of it. Uh, oh, it all ties together. This is like the, this is a perfect last thing because um, I was meant it was a sketch thing we were meant to do like an impro- improvised sketch because we would. Uh, doing like a TV thing this is ages ago and they gave us a script and in the script it said um, at one point this uh, famous actor will show up and it's probably going to be Nikolai Costa-Veldau who's in Game of Thrones oh he's Jamie maybe Yeah, <laughs> no idea haven't yeah. watched it uh, Jamie Lannister probably yeah. <laughs> probably that guy really gorgeous really yes. gorgeous guy so we were all like, oh, my God, are we going to do this acting thing with Nicolai Costavelda? Holy shit. So we turned up on the day and they were like, actually, he canceled <laughs> or maybe he never could in the first place. Uh, instead, we got Kim Butnia. And I, I was, I've always been a huge fan of Kim Butnia. I've watched all of his films. He's mm. a brilliant actor. He's brilliant. So he turned up and the other people were a bit disappointed that it was him. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. Now, he was a tiny bit of a pig, but in like a fun way, where we had to improvise, and the scene was just us pretending to be huge fans of his. Mm-hmm. So we just meant to, and the whole joke was that this other famous actor, Nikolai Lee Kos, uh, the scene was that he was wanting to impress us with all of his awards and stuff. We weren't impressed, but then he invited his famous friend, and we were very impressed. That was a joke. Mm-hmm. So we just had to be like, oh my God, we are so famous, oh my God. And then he took advantage of that. So the second the cameras were rolling, he tried to kiss all of the girls. And they were all like, they all pulled away. 
And then when he like looked at me, I just kind of raised my eyebrows and he raised his eyebrows and we crawled up on the dining room table and I cleared the plates off of the table, ah. <laughs> just moved and just made out full on kiss everywhere, like licking, I licked his beard. Just, oh no, <laughs> just, ah. And then I was just waiting for them to yell cut and like nothing was happening. And I, we just made out and made out and no one was saying anything. And I was just like, I can't stop this. Like, wow. we need someone to... So eventually someone said cut and then we just <clears throat> okay thank you Sorry, <laughs> just climbed back off the table and sat down and was like and I was blushing so much and then every time I saw him on TV I would be like oh because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not like an addict like I don't really act so I don't I've never had anything like that before so for me this is like a real kiss yeah there's a real full where's on. the footage of this that's the thing so afterwards I said wow like, what are we going to do and they said no we'll use it in the sketch of course we'll use it like we wouldn't want you to have done that without we mm-hmm. and they never used it oh really so it must be out there somewhere but it's never been broadcast some guys got it on their like yeah. hard drive I hope so I really want to see it I want to see that too now yeah uh, yeah it's funny because I saw that clips for that and I was like who's that guy he's good he's, yeah. a re- he's really he's good he's a good actor he's a good he's hot <laughs> And a good kisser. And a good kisser. I mean, <laughs> takes two to tango. So the last question that I always ask is this. Um, so you, you're you in the delivery room and you're holding yourself as a newborn baby. Ooh. Little tiny uh, Chris Grace. And you're crying and screaming because you were just born and everything's dangerous and, and terrifying because there's lights and sounds everywhere. And you're terrified because you haven't had that in the womb. But you, as you, know that... Oh, this baby's going to have a lot of lights and sounds because that's what it won't look like lights and sounds. It'll be other things, but it'll be equally dangerous and terrifying. And you can say something to yourself as a little baby. And you can't change the future. You can't change anything. But you can say something to, I don't know, maybe calm it down or whatever you feel like this baby should hear. What would you say to yourself as a little baby? I mean, I don't think this is a good thing. I'll just tell you what popped in my mind, which is to just say, like, it'll all be over soon. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's probably... I've learned over the last four or five years... I was already a dark person, and I've just learned, like, I'm a much darker person than most people are. And so I have to, like, kind of pull it back to exist in society. Um, so that's what popped in my head. Is that a good thing to say to a child? Probably not. But I, I do sometimes think about that, like... I actually take comfort in sort of the existential, like, finality of things sometimes. Because I just, like, I actually think I am a cheerful person, and some of it's because of that. It's just, like, uh, some of this day-to-day stuff is, like, not important, you know? Um, like, like equality. I, I do think being progressive and diversity and stuff is important. But the thing of, like, well, you know, like, Chipotle's out of avocados today. Like, I don't know. That doesn't really matter. So maybe that's what I'd say. I don't know if that'd be that comforting to that child. Um, yeah, I can't come up with anything better. I'm sorry. That's such a depressing thing to say to a no. baby. <laughs> I mean, you're not the first one to have said that. <laughs> um, okay, good. Uh, there's sense. other twisted people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because like, well, you know, this doesn't go with that, but like, it's okay to not know stuff, you know? And I think the sooner you realize that the better and a baby doesn't know, baby don't know shit. (laughs) That's what I'm always telling babies as I walk around. Like, man, you don't know shit. (laughs) Fuck you. You think you're all that in that baby carriage. 
Have people like carry you around. One day you're gonna have to walk yourself. Actually, like your life's gonna get worse. <laughs> like, like at the moment you're being carried around, being fed. Everyone is catering to you, and like you lose more and more attention, especially with another child. And here's the picture: like, your all of your like like day to day benefits are gonna get worse uh, for the rest of your life, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. Um, but no, like I mean, I'm I'm you know one thing that I have gotten comfortable. I think a lot of improv. Comedy improv um, life lessons are overblown. <laughs> like, there's a lot of like, if you learn to improvise, like, you you know, there's just like, it's going to open up your life so much because you're saying yes and to all the opportunities in your life, and it's like whatever. Um, but I do think the one thing that's really great about it is you get comfortable with acting without knowing, acting like without certainty on things, and that that is something I would tell a baby is just like, just do your best. Um, there's many things that you don't. No, and in some ways, like learning things through experience is so much different than learning things through like a book or you know Facebook or whatever. That like sometimes you're just gonna have to experience it first, and not to worry about it too much before that. And like if you're entering a situation where you just don't know, like getting to the point of knowing things and having a certainty and to not have anxiety is like is sometimes like not realistic and also maybe is a thing that creates anxiety, you know, wanting to have that level. So that's what I do. I have gotten comfortable with just like, uh, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but, uh, you know, like if it's a gig or if it's a job or if it's like meeting somebody, like, I don't know how this is going to go, but also in an hour it'll be over. So let's just see what happens. That's really nice. <laughs> I like that. For people who uh, will hear this, where where do you want people to look you up and see your stuff? And you can go to chris grace dot com, or you can follow me on Twitter at chris grace. I'm also on Facebook. Oh, you know, I'm on YouTube too. If you look for Chris Grace, uh, I think it's just Chris Grace on there. I uh, like one of the. Vi- I did a bunch of like daily videos, like early, like about 18 months ago uh which was interesting like i was just doing like sort of slice of life stuff that everybody does like vlog stuff and then i actually did one about like scarlett johansson being in ghost in the shell and that one like that's gotten it was the most like hey this is what i think about an issue and the most like online hate coming Mm. back towards me uh but actually like speaking to the leader thing we were talking about i i've had people tell me like you should make more of those because like it was important that you articulated those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's like, yes, I should. And mm. then there's another part of me that's like, but do I want people to yell at me mm. back? So, but I, if you go look on YouTube, I, I probably am going to do more of those because it's interesting to me. And I do think it's important. And that'll be in a few weeks from this very moment. So by then I hope you will have made a lot of Chris Grace has an opinion. Yeah, that's what it'll be called. Chris <laughs> Grace has an opinion. <laughs> That's so. not bad. <laughs> I think that's your vlog. I like that. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank I'm so you. happy we finally fucking did it. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I love doing this podcast. I really, really do. And um, it's it's kind of over now. You can you can you can skip ahead if you don't want. If, if you're done, if you, if you were just here to hear about Chris Grace and you don't want any of my uh, rambling at the end, you can you can end it now. But um, I want to say two things. I mean, first of all, there's a thing that people have started saying to me because when I'm recording this, I'm in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and 
a lot of comedians and stuff come up to me and say, wow, I get a lot of messages from people who who heard me on your podcast and, and they're all so nice and they're coming to my shows and I just love how supportive you are of the people that I interview on this podcast. I think it's so, so great. And um, yeah, to so keep doing it, like send them a tweet, tell them that they were great or whatever. Like it, it just makes a lot of, it just makes a difference. So that's one thing that you, you're already doing that I, I love you for. Another thing is uh, it takes it takes a lot of time. It takes some time making this podcast, um, and that's in no way a complaint. I love it. I could do this 24 hours a day and just be happy with it, but maybe not 24 hours. I need some sleep. Eight hours? <laughs> Let's go with eight hours. Um, I, I just, so I do really genuinely love doing it, but um, it's also difficult. Uh, it's busy. I'm, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm, I'm a lot of projects and touring and all of that, so... It really, really helps me that you're helping me uh, by either giving one-off donations, which you can do on mopart.com, uh, or the whole, like, sharing it, of course, sharing it on social media, telling people about it, um, leaving five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, there's people who've contacted me uh, who are listeners who, you know, write for a newspaper, write for a magazine, and, and you're doing things as well. And it's, so, it's just so good. Anyways, what I'm trying to lead up to is that I have a Patreon account which is this wonderful place where you can go and sign up and um, you can sign up, you can decide how many dollars, it's dollars, you want to give per episode and then it just automatically does the thing it needs to do. It's very, very simple and very easy. And if you give more than $5 per episode, you get to be mentioned on the podcast, which means that I will butcher your name. Uh, so, which is the thing you will now witness because I want to give... A massive thank you to the following people. I want to thank Kathy Draxelbauer, Robert Knowles, Eve Wingrith, uh, Victoria Greer, Marnie Biles, Phil Vabalas, Olivia Hove, Zoe Cumberland, Maria Mrs. Lindenskog, Joe C., Purdy Patterson, uh, <laughs> Purdy Patterson, sorry, Steph Ream, Mary Fraser, uh, Ruth Harvey, Jane Young, Dan Smith, Gillian Brady, Bethany Dahlstrom, Aiden Forrester, Andrea Papillon, Darshan Bengal, Kathy Hatfield, Robin Kaber, James Frew, Karen Threthaway, Russell Hughes, Ida Sigal Larsen, Lucy, Inga Ellingsen, Imogen Viersen, uh, Maddie Searle, Caleb Melchior, Zach Hillegas, Jessica Stuhlfire, Meg, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Georgia Brown, Kathy Birridge, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo Nascimento, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Claire Lamb, Grace Souza, Cat Pillar, Harold Van Dyke, Eleanor, Sarah Ferreira, Ferreira Eikesith, Cherie Dunphy, and Daniel Ripersheed. Whew, that's a lot of people. I'm so happy. This is so great. I love you all. I love you all very, very much. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Bailey Leonard for my jingle and to Linda Brinkhouse for my logo and the Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. Thank you for listening. I'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.